This is the Eurasian Enigma from the Davis Center. The Davis Center. The Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Eurasian Enigma, a podcast from the Davis Center for Russian and Eurasian Studies. My name is Chris Martin and I'm the Outreach Director at the Davis Center. And today I'm having a conversation with the authors of the new book, The Red Web, The Struggle Between Russia's Digital Dictators and the New Online Revolutionaries. The book documents much of the history of surveillance during the Soviet period and provides us with a deep understanding of how the Kremlin today orchestrates massive online surveillance. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome, Irina and Andre, and thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, your new book, The Red Web, it details the long evolving relationship between communications technology and government security apparatus during both the Soviet period and modern day Russia. I think most people who have a sense of what the USSR was, they understand it was categorized by tight government control over nearly every facet of its citizens' lives, including how information was shared. Um, in what ways is modern-day Russia under Putin similar or dissimilar from the Soviet period in terms of that control over the flow of information, especially through the media channels? Well, it's, uh, there are some similarities. Uh, first of all, it goes for, uh, for the use of uh, surveillance, not actually as a tool to spy on people, uh, but to put them under pressure and to organize an, a climate of intimidation and of instigating self-censorship among journalists. Uh, we all know that for many years uh, lots of Russian journalists and experts and opposition politicians uh, were put under surveillance and they, uh, the phone recordings were then posted online by pro-government media and then something happened to them. We know the story, uh, the most famous story of Boris Nemtsov, uh, the former Russian uh, vice president and a very popular opposition politician over the last 10, 20, uh, 10, maybe 12 years, and uh, his, uh, his phone conversations were uh, eavesdropped by the authorities and posted online just before uh, the protest to apparently to disrupt some of the manifestations, and he was killed uh, earlier uh, this year. So could you talk a little bit more about what the government does to exert control over um, newspapers, over journalists, and through um, particularly uh, television uh, journalism, which they have such tight control. In the early over. 2000s, when Putin came to power, his first task was to put pressure on on the media and to sub uh, and to put all media under his his, his and the Kremlin control. Uh, the Kremlin just put uh, just just placed all all traditional media including t television uh, under the control of oligarchs and uh, it was very successful strategy because it cost cost nothing for the Kremlin uh, oligarchs paid for everything and uh, it didn't need mass repression because uh, oligarchs uh, intimidated editors and editors uh, in their terms intimidated journalists and at that time many journalists understood that to 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 keep their jobs they need to stay away from trouble so this was the, the, the very first stage or uh, when the Kremlin uh, subordinated media and put them under control uh, but uh, Online media that started to rise at that time uh, were quite free. 
that time. It was another right. next state. <laughs> right, because I've always had the impression that although the government had such tight control over print journalism over TV, that the that the, the web was 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 much much freer. But that obviously has changed over time. Um, well, unfortunately, even uh, in the early 2000s, the situation was much more complicated. Uh, yes, we had then uh, almost completely uncensored internet, and a uh, lot of journalists expelled from traditional media. They ended up in uh, online media, or they just launched their own blogs, and uh, they posted lots of information. But the thing is that in this capacity, if you just write for blogs, uh, you cannot do, uh, say, investigations. You have no resources to go to trips and uh, to see things, uh, to report from the ground. You have no money and no legal protection to write sensitive stories. Uh, and uh, that, uh, what actually we got, we got uh, the situation where the web was dominated by liberal thinking journalists and experts, but they mostly provided comments on what's going on but not real information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how the government actually goes about that sort of the technical side of how they gather information and maybe um, describe what SORM is, which was, was news to me. Um, yeah, we, uh, we inherited uh, uh, the system of telecommunication interception SORM, which stands for System of Operative Research Measures. In Russian is Systema Operativna Rozaskhnikh Meropriyatiy. Uh, from the KGB. Uh, the system was designed in the late 80s, uh, was first implemented for phone conversations in the beginning of uh, 1990s, and has been constantly updated ever since. The latest version of SORM we got uh, with April, uh, in April 2015, and now it's combined with Western technology, DPI, Deep Packet Inspection, which helps to analyze all kinds of traffic and uh, the, maybe now we have the most advanced system of uh, uh, telecommunication interception because the Russian approach was always uh, targeted surveillance which means that you have the list of people, suspects and they are already identified when you, you need to just spy on them but now with DPI they would, would be able to identify troublemakers by what they say online mm -hmm. which, would, which might be mu uh, much more powerful Right, so they don't have to just look at the usual suspects, they can identify new suspects. Yes, oh, yes. yes, it's an it's a, it's a entirely new dimension and new development for the Russian security agencies. Right, and these SORM boxes, the, the government, the security apparatus, work directly with the internet service providers so that these boxes are installed. Yeah, the idea... And they can basically capture anyone's communication. Absolutely, ab yeah, because uh, uh, the Russian legislation in terms of... Uh, so-called lawful interception requires all telecommunication companies in the country, internet service providers, mobile operators, anything, to uh, have uh, SORM boxes uh, installed on the uh, servers and networks. And sometimes the system might be duplicated, replicated, and triplicated because uh, every lo even local network should have their own SORM boxes. We discovered some astonishing examples, and even the university local networks are required to have their own SOM boxes. So uh, basically it means that the Russian authorities can have access to all kinds of information. And in general though, the, the state doesn't always hide or shy away from the fact that we know that, you, you know that we're watching you. They just use it to say, you know, we're keeping, we're using this information to keep you safe. 
Absolutely, yeah. That was the approach we used with uh, the Sochi Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. And when we did our research and investigation was published in The Guardian about uh, the surveillance measures installed in Sochi because of the Olympics, two months before the Games started, the, the government re- response was surprisingly not to deny what we found out, but actually to support it with their own statement that, look, yes, you would be spied on, but it's all for your safety, mm-hmm. which was very smart because we actually exploited our revelations to send a very powerful message to, say, activists uh, who wanted to come to the Olympics to protest that, look, even independent journalists say that you would be under control if you would come to Olympics, so it's better to be more careful. Right, right. I, I read this quote on your website, agentura.ru, and I found it very fascinating. It said, the internet in Russia is either the most efficient totalitarian tool or the device by which totalitarianism will be overthrown, perhaps both. Could you explain sort of what that means to you? Uh, it means that, uh, unfortunately, uh, many governments, including Russian government, uh, found a way how to use the internet to uh, sometimes to control people, sometimes to spread the message and to spread propaganda. And uh, it's actually what we see now in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the uh, majority of the population believes in government propaganda and it's completely uncomparable with the situation in, uh, say, in, uh, during the Soviet times because there is no lack of access to independent information. Mm-hmm. If you want to, we can easily find a way to read independent news, mm-hmm. but we don't, just do not want to. But why we are ho- but what we we are still optimistic? We think that this kind of situation might be preserved only in a situation of complete political stability, when everybody are quite sure that nothing can be done. Mm-hmm. But when you are getting any kind of when you get any kind of crisis, uh, any kind of situation, political or economic or even a natural disaster. This kind of crisis provokes people to generate content mm-hmm. on social networks, which means that then the message would be completely uh, uh, not under control of the government. Mm-hmm. And because the system is still focused on dealing with a few troublemakers, even thousands, but not millions, mm-hmm. uh, it means they would be absolutely out of means to control the message. Right, because you can't control what one individual Russian says on their own social media page or on Twitter or on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they can use intimidation. To yeah. try and keep the population. So when wh- when you have a situation where there is no will to protest, mm-hmm. well, of course, the, uh, the government system of controls in, of, of the internet is very effective. Mm-hmm. But when people have something to say, they, they have this will to protest and to say and to dis- disseminate information uncensored, mm-hmm. there is no means to stop them. Mm-hmm. But intimidation is a very uh, is a very important part of part of the system because only two couple weeks ago. One uh, act, uh, civil rights activist uh, from Tatarstan, his name Rafis Kashapov, was sent to prison for only posting his his opinion on annexation of Crimea mm-hmm. on on his on the social network Vkontakte, mm-hmm. and he got three years in prison. Mm-hmm. So you really only have to make an example of one yeah, person yeah, you every just once need... in a while Absolutely. to keep the pot, the lid on the pot from boiling yeah, over. Yeah. So there's always that question of of how far will be too far? You know, at what point will the people say, well, that, that's gotten to be too much? So the idea that if Putin tried to, although he just took over Kontaktia, which is the Russian version of Facebook by installing an oligarch um, uh, in lieu of its original founder, but if he tried to do more things like you see in, in China where there's more of a firewall, where there's um, no access to Western 
um, websites. Do you think that would be a step too far? Or it depends on how it proceeds. It's it's unpredictable. (laughs) In a way, it's unpredictable. But at the same time, it seems that the Russian system of control is based on dealing with companies, not with dealing with users. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese system is much more... um, it's Focus about on, both. Yeah, <laughs> it's about both, and also also deals with with users. As but to deal with users, you need to have very good technical solutions. And it seems that now Russia, Russian authorities are quite short of uh, these solutions. They they do not know what to do with uh, HTTPS. Uh, they have some problems with VPN. They do not know how to actually not to actually to ban but to block uh, the usage of uh, circumvention tools mm-hmm. so it seems that when it's uh, it, it comes to users uh, the Russian forces are still hesitant mm-hmm. we know how to suppress and to put pressure on companies mm-hmm. well we know it's all very effective but mm-hmm. with users it's mm-hmm. a different story mm-hmm. right um, I guess a question that I get asked a lot as somebody who who talks about Russia is, uh, and it could be asked during the Soviet period too, is, is how much do people believe? You talked about it a little bit already, uh, about what kind of information they're receiving from the government, particularly through um, television media. Um, how much of the propaganda do they buy and how much do they realize is just part of the story that's being told? And is it different for information that's being conveyed through the web, or does it again depend on the source, the individual source? Of course, unfortunately, uh, the most of Russians believe in state propaganda, especially on TV, because nowadays propaganda uh, is very sophisticated, and uh, TV channels send very emotional message to the pub to the public. Uh, they, for example, they called uh, Ukrainian army fascists, and uh, they de- depicted I don't know. A, 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 the military conflict in Ukraine as the Second World War, uh, where uh, a, a Russian, a pro-Russian separatist is just anti-fascist, and Ukrainian and the Ukrainian army depicted as a fascist army. So, public bought this, all the stuff, and uh, not because they believe in all this, but because it it that satisfies public's expectations that that is uh, partly imperialistic and many people um, uh, want to have some some kind of revenge and uh, to feel uh, to feel themselves uh, in in the way they felt during the USSR when the USSR was a real threat for the world and that is some kind of real strong superpower. Super super yeah. yeah. You want to, to, yeah. to feel proud and, 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 and important. To get back this feeling right. and uh, Putin used uses this. So this is not the the, the idea of uh, surveillance of using information by the government is not just a Russian problem it's not just um, uh, something that affects the Russian people it's it's being used all over the world including of course here in the USA is this a problem that has or could have a global solution or does it really have to be focused on because because the problem is so different based on either national perspective or who the leader is, is it really, uh, there's no global answer to? No. Uh, we, we the believe- global answer may be only uh, to develop uh, any kind of encryption uh, that is uh, allowed for, 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 for average users. 
But I also believe in, uh, in well, I but we can stop government, any governments from spying on us. Mm-hmm. We have no abilities. But, but we can hide our information. So there's a technical them. side. There's it's a technical, technical side. side. Yeah. But, but that, there's a cost, of course, to any kind of technical. Absolutely. But I think I, I uh, myself, I uh, also believe that there might be some, uh, some, some legislation and some initiative, global initiative. Uh, for example, there's a big question, a big issue of. Uh, of exports of surveillance equipment and many countries they are they're not actually they develop their own uh, surveillance systems they rely on uh, exports from other countries mm-hmm. some of this count some of these equipment are developed in the west uh, for example italy is a world leader in some of kind of technologies israel uh, and russia and the united states uh, for uh, and uk so if we can put some sort of regulation and we can control not the arm uh, exports, but also surveillance equipment exports. That might be very helpful. Mm-hmm. So there could be a policy, potential yeah, policy yeah, response yeah. as well. It's, so at least we can, we can try. Right, right. So given all this, given our conversation, and um, what has you feeling optimistic about the future of uh, Russian communication technologies, government intervention? I Russian feel quite lab? optimistic on, on the on the battle between the Russian di- Russian dictators and digital online revolutionaries, because um, I I think that Putin doesn't understand the nature of the networks and uh, and and the network of the internet. He uh, he he is he always have a deal. Uh, he always has a deal with. Uh, hierarchical structure and with organizations that could be coerced by going after bosses. This approach is useless dealing with networks because a network is horizontal creatures and everyone can participate in network and post uh, information on the network without authorization. And there was an example uh, when networks are uh, or when, when networks won against the Kremlin, uh, when we got the war in Ukraine, the, the military conflict in Ukraine, and Russian authorities denied the Russian military pre- presence in Ukraine, uh, very soon, uh, some very soon, U- Ukrainian journalists and Russian journalists uh, found, found out a lot of profiles of Russian soldiers uh, in Ukraine on Vkontakte, Russian social network, very popular, who exp- who boasted by their exploits in Ukraine. Exploits, yeah. And uh, and they put a lot of information. They posted they posted a lot of information on the na- on on Vkontakte about about they posted uh, their names, uh, their pictures, the names of their units and even locations. And they revealed the truth that that there that there was a huge military presence of Russian of Russian military in Ukraine, and uh, it was it was made uh, despite the fact that the social network of Kontakte was put under the Kremlin control control few months before mm-hmm. before the events. Right. So Putin's usual his usual approach of remove the guy at the top and let them exert pressure. Through the horizontal, to the, through the vertical structure, rather, Absolutely. didn't and even after doing that with contact you with replacing the guy at the top, you can't control again those individual users yeah, and, and what they and say. And the stories are because on the social network, content is generated by users, mm-hmm. by people, and every kind of conflict provoked 
provokes people to produce more and more information and there is no means to stop them from disseminating information on the network. For us it's uh, fascinating because this, uh, this kind of content was generated not by activists, not by journalists, not by people actually committed to reveal the truth, but by innocent and naive soldiers. Mm -hmm. And 18, maybe 19 year old. Yeah, maybe they even never thought that they actually they reveal the truth. They right. just posted this stuff. Mm -hmm. So in this case, the network mm -hmm. and not activists um, right. uh, help it. Right. Well, I hope that your positivity wins out uh, for the future of Russia. And I thank you both very much for being here to talk with us today about your new book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for having so. us.